Hello all, welcome once again to the Down in the Valley podcast. I'm Todd Golden, sports editor and Indiana State beat writer for the Terre Haute Tribune Star. Episode 5, You've Got to Move, is being recorded on November 14th, not at the fabulous Todd Golden Studios in Terre Haute, but inside the even more fabulous fourth floor studio penthouse at the mighty Courtyard by Marriott on the east side of Louisville. I know that I am not the first nor the last to record something so momentous in this hotel. So um, you may notice my voice is a little bit muted. I have no idea whether there's people in the rooms beside me or not. So um, this will be kind of the quiet storm version of the Down in the Valley, at least the basketball part of it will be. So I'm here in Louisville and I used to live here. I lived here for two years at the beginning of my career. In fact, um, before the game on Wednesday, I went to go visit my old office, which is in downtown Jeffersonville. Um, there's two Tribune Star, former Tribune Star employees who are working there. Um, former news editor Susan Duncan uh, is there, and she was responsible for hiring um, Craig Pearson, who worked for the Tribune Star Sports Department for many years. Um, he's the sports editor down here now, so I stopped by and said hi and also visited my old office, which uh, I was there in the late 90s. So that was a lot of fun to see them and to uh, kind of go down memory lane, so to speak. Um, Louisville is a great place, and I do call it Louisville. Um, yes, I lived here, and I was a bona fide, lived right in the city of Louisville when I was here. And, of course, most of the people down here call it Louisville. And I never called it that. I never could convince myself that that was the right way to go because I felt like I'd always called it Louisville being from the north. I'm from Wisconsin originally and spent most of my adult life in Indiana, but um, I always felt like a poser if I called it Louisville. You know, I'm like Louisville. I I have to advertise that I'm not from there almost. So um, it's kind of like when you're in Vigo County and you once in a while hear people call it Vigo County. Um, I feel like that's like a like a signpost that they're truly a uh, Terre Haute native, although a lot of Hotians don't say Vigo County, so I don't know where that came from. But anyway, the Louisville thing is, uh, or Louisville, as I should say, is similar. So uh, I lived here, but I'm not from here originally, so it's Louisville to me, not Louisville. But anyway, you didn't come here for pronunciation. You came here for basketball and football, which we'll get into later, but... Um, I was here, of course, for Indiana State's game against number four, Louisville, um, at the Yum Center, my first visit to the Yum Center. I'd only been to Freedom Hall in the past, and it didn't end well for the Sycamores, or more accurately, it didn't start well. Uh, Louisville dominated after ISU did have an early 8-5 to five lead. Um, they put together an 18-3 to three run at that point, fueled by four three-point buckets. Uh, Louisville started 82% from the field. That was a statistic that went past the 10-minute point of the first half, so they were red hot. And although the Sycamores did cut their deficit to 11 early in the second half, they were really never at the races. Uh, Louisville went on to win 91-62 to and looked every bit the part of a number four team in the country. Um, they got significant contributions from pretty much all of their starters, uh, uh, Jordan Nora, the ACC preseason player of the year, had 21 points, went to the line 10 times, made nine. Uh, 
forward Dwayne Sutton, who I didn't talk about much in my preview, but he looked really good. He had 14 points, 10 rebounds, ISU, very physical presence. ISU never really had an answer for him. Center Stephen Enoch is a big dude. We knew about him. Uh, wasn't much of a scoring threat, but did have 10 rebounds. Um, Ryan McMahon scored nine. Darius Perry played well early during Louisville's run. He, he ended up with seven points and three assists, but almost all of that was uh, early in the game. Off the bench, um, Lamar Kimball, known as Fresh Kimball. I wish I was known as Fresh Golden. That'd be kind of cool. Um, he had 13 points. He was he was really good. Uh, Samuel Williamson uh, scored 15 for Louisville. So they got contributions. Ryan McMahon had nine. Um, most of those later, but um, point being is that the Cardinals got uh, contributions from all of their main guys, and that was not the scenario that the Sycamores needed to have. They needed to have it more along the lines of the Dayton game last Saturday, which we'll also talk about a little bit, um, an 86-81 Dayton win on a much more competitive and fun game. But in that game, Obi Toppin was dominant, but and the rest of the Dayton players were contributed, but weren't um, quite as dominant as Louisville's uh, starting five was on Wednesday. So um, not a good scenario for the Sycamores against a very good Louisville team. Now, um, as far as ISU stats were concerned against the Cardinals, Tyreek Key, Tyreek Key looked like he belonged with those players out there. He scored 20. He uh, once again got to, he got to the line six times. This is after going to the line, um, I think it was 14 times against Dayton. So... Tyreek is, uh, I wonder what the over-under is going to be on him and his uh, free throw attempts this year. Um, my guess is bet the over. So he looked good, but he didn't get a whole lot of help. Um, the next highest scorer was Christian Williams, who had nine. Um, Jordan Barnes had seven. He struggled. He was two of 13 from the field. Um, Kobe Barnes uh, looked decent. He scored six points, and Chris Agbo scored six a little later in the game. Um Diavion Washington had six rebounds after they started him in the second half, so he had some good moments. But it was a rough day for the other Sycamores. Uh, Louisville plays a pack line defense. Sycamores see a lot of that. Um, and they weren't able to get the kind of dribble penetration kick game that they were able to get against Dayton on Saturday. So it's a rough night. Um, I think Louisville, I mean, I, you know, it's one of those things you can't prove it, but. Evansville's win over number one Kentucky the night before, I'm sure, had Louisville's attention because uh, that was headline news down here in the Commonwealth. Um, Sycamore's walking in there as an MVC team. You know, that was on the minds of everybody, both Louisville media, Indiana State media, um, the fans. At the end of the game, uh, Louisville's fans were chanting, we're not UK, meaning we're not going to get beat by an MVC team. So, um so in a way, Evansville's win, momentous as it was, uh, probably didn't do the Sycamores many favors. But that's not Evansville's fault. That's that's a huge win for them and, and a big feather in the cap of the Valley. Um, in the wake of the Louisville game and the Dayton game, um, there's a few things we know and a few things we're, we're still learning about this team. It's still very early, and there's no reason to jump to any conclusions, good or bad, um, at this stage of the season. I mean, it's just so early. We're two games into a 30-game schedule, so um, so keep that in mind. Also, um, I don't think there's any MVC teams that have played the one-two punch right out of the gate like ISU did against Dayton and Louisville, so that needs to be kept in mind. Uh, ISU's 
degree of difficulty was pretty high coming out of the gate. So those sound like excuses, but it's true. I mean, you know, I don't think anybody, you know, who was thinking about it objectively thought that Indiana State was going to win either one of these games. They came very close to winning one of them with the 86-81 loss at Dayton on Saturday um, and didn't come close in the other. So, um, you know, I, I think the outcomes were not unexpected necessarily. So what do you draw from that? Well, let's look at the Louisville game first. And I wrote down in the Valley just now, um, and I kind of split it up into things that fans shouldn't worry about, some things that maybe are a mild concern, and then the one thing I think may be a concern going forward, which is a concern that we knew about all along. But let me start with the ones I don't think are that are kind of isolated things, more having to do with Louisville's talent than anything else. But ISU did get out-rebounded 42-21 by Louisville on Wednesday. In fact, Sutton and Enoch, with 20 rebounds between themselves, almost out-rebounded ISU on their own. Um, Normally, you'd look at that and say, well, that's really bad, obviously. You know, you can't, you're not going to get anywhere getting, you know, giving up twice the amount of rebounds that, you're getting. But, you know, let's be real here. I mean, ISU is not going to see a front line like that very often. Um, and given that, and given the fact that ISU did out-rebound Dayton uh, 39-34 on Saturday, not really worried about that number. I think that's a one-game isolated thing. Is ISU a great rebounding team? Probably not, but I don't think they're a bad rebounding team. I don't think there's some, some sign of trouble down the line. Um, you know, we'll see, but that's one statistic that came out of the Louisville game I'm not really that concerned about. Um, another is kind of the varying degrees of production that has been evident from the first-year players. Um, against Dayton, Jake LaRavia and Trey Williams both looked really good, especially LaRavia. LaRavia had an excellent game against the Flyers. That was as good of an ISU debut uh, from a true freshman, as I've seen in quite a while. Um, now, against Louisville, LaRavia struggled. Um, Trey Williams tried, but he was, you know, giving up a couple inches to the guys he was uh, guarding on the other end and trying to score against um, on, on, the, on the offensive end. So he wasn't much of a factor against the Cardinals. However, Kobe Barnes, who played sparingly against Dayton, uh, looked a little bit more comfortable in his second game. Chris Agbo struggled against Dayton um, and looked better against the Cardinals. Now, granted, he was playing primarily against their um, their reserves, but I approximate Louisville's reserves to a typical Valley team. So Agbo had six points. He had two rebounds, um, was active in the paint, He's, he's going to be a project going forward. I mean, he is not by any means a finished offensive product. He's going to struggle scoring once in a while. But what I wanted to see out of Agbo was to see some, uh, you know, some fire and, and, uh, and want to underneath the glass. And I saw some of that on, on uh, Wednesday against Louisville. So my point in all this is, is that um, all of these first-year players are not even a week into their college careers yet. And so what we saw out of LaRavia, one good game, one not so good game, um, same for the others, is 
strictly par for the course for first-year players in any program. So I'm not ready to, as, as encouraged as I was by LaRavia's um, great game against Dayton and some of the other things I saw from, from Trey Williams and, and, and uh, Kobe Barnes and, and Chris Agbo, I'm not ready to jump to any conclusions yet one way or the other, good or bad. Um, you know, they need to grow a little bit. They need to be given a chance to uh, get used to being college players. That's, think of anything in your own life, uh, you know, when you tried something new or moved up to a different level of your profession or when you're in school, it's hard. And uh, those guys are going to have their good and bad moments. So there's nothing I saw on Wednesday night that, you know, worried me about any of those guys. Then I had a category called that I that I called mild concerns, um, and one mild concern is that um, in ISU's game against Dayton, they did a very good job of um, with their dribble kick offense, and they stayed patient. They didn't. It was more dribble than kick against Dayton. I mean, they were able to get penetration. They didn't always, you know, get a bucket out of it but they kept Dayton's defense honest, and then they were able to kick it out later in the game and get some good three-point shots. Um, clearly, Louisville watched that tape because Louisville played pack line, and they were able to steer ISU's ball handlers kind of away from the entry pass type situations that they were able to do to good effect against the Flyers. So, um, you know... ISU is going to have to get used to the fact that, and they, I think they are, but um, that teams are going to pack line against them. And if you can pack line ISU, then that makes it a little bit easier to defend, if you're athletic enough anyway, to defend shooters. And I think that was the case to some degree um, against the Cardinals. ISU did get some decent looks from the outside, um, but nothing that was you know, very few that were completely wide open. There was a couple, but not many. So that's something ISU is going to have to adjust to and to try to figure out how to attack that kind of defense without just settling for threes on the perimeter. So it's a mild concern because most teams aren't going to have the athleticism that Louisville does to close out down shooters. But, um, you know, but ISU has, as we all know, has tended to be a little bit three-point shot happy at times too. So um, it would be good, you know, in the games moving forward if they were able to kind of square that circle and and uh, find a way to achieve the balance that they had against Dayton, which was really encouraging to see in that game. So that's a mild concern. We'll see how that goes. Um, against Louisville, ISU was 10 of 26 from three-point range. Again, um, we're looking at a situation where, you know, Louisville can – close down shooters at a rate that most of the teams at ISU is going to play against don't. So um, I'm not too worried about that. Jordan Barnes was two of nine from three-point range, and he did miss a couple open ones. Um, now it happens. I mean, shooters are going to miss. They're not, you know, very few shooters are going to make 50% of their threes. But of course, we're kind of haunted by the ghost of the way Jordan finished last year from three-point range. So I'm not saying I'm that concerned about it. He shot the ball very well against Dayton. Um, he didn't make the shot at the end, but it wasn't a bad look. Um, but he did generally shoot well from the outside in that game. So just a mild concern. We'll see how it goes going forward. Um, I think uh, I'm not concerned about Tyreek. He's shooting. He's shot the ball pretty well from the outside. So that's kind of, you know, 
keep an eye on it type of concern. Um, the one major, I, I wouldn't call it major concern, but the one concern I have coming out of both of these games, and it's not a new concern, is, is ISU's defense. Now, let's qualify that. Um, ISU played against two NBA picks in Obi Toppin of Dayton and, and Jordan Yora from Louisville, at least two. So, you know, we need to grade this on a curve a little bit. However, um, the one thing that concerned me is that both teams had some pretty open looks from the perimeter. Now, Dayton didn't convert many of theirs. Um, the Flyers, um, apart from, um, I, I, I think it was Jalen Crutcher, um, struggled a bit from three-point range. Louisville did not. Louisville got took care of those open shots they made with a vengeance. Um, and, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know that any one player is responsible. I'm not, a, I'm not a good enough analyzer of basketball to know exactly what both those teams were doing, not without looking at film or anything like that. And even then, I'd probably need some help. But, um, but it is concerning to me that there's been a lot of open shooters in these two games. And... Um, there was some frustration expressed by um, Tyreek Keene. I'm sure part of it was probably just frustration of loss, but about he mentioned he wasn't happy with ISU's defensive effort. Christian Williams was a little bit, a, a little bit less strident about it. He said he, he wasn't displeased with the effort, but ISU's concentration needs to be better defensively. So I guess it just depends on how you want to look at it. I mean, physical effort and mental effort are two different things, but they're both effort. So I chalk Christian's comments to mental effort. Um, I don't know if Tyreek meant physical effort, mental effort, or both. Um, but, you know, it, it has to be better. I mean, because the thing is, the open looks that both of those teams got um, – are going to be open looks for anybody and pretty much and yes you can say Dayton and Louisville are both talented teams but even mediocre teams can drain open shots so that is a concern going forward I don't like the open shots I'm seeing on the perimeter um, we'll see if the Sycamores can uh, um, you know fix that so just a couple other observations we'll talk about a couple players um, Tyreek Key has been outstanding in both games. Um, as I mentioned, he's been just a machine as far as getting to the free throw line. Um, he's hitting his, his open outside shots. And this is all with, um, you know, the, the attention of, uh, of the opposing defenses. I, I didn't get to do, when, when, when you're covering a game, you're not really usually able to get both um, uh, perspectives from both teams, especially when you're covering covering a road game, especially on deadline like I was on Wednesday. It was an 8-10 start. Um, so I didn't get to do the Louisville media availability. I was talking to ISU at the same time. Um, but I did see Chris Mack up on the uh, video board at Yum Center, and the first words out of his mouth was that how concerned he was about Tyreek and Jordan Barnes, um, especially after the way they played against Dayton. So uh, both of those guys have the respect of the opposing teams. I think they both knew that, that would be the case coming in. And uh, certainly that was the case on Wednesday. But Tyreek has been really good. I really like the way Christian Williams has been coming out of games uh, with a purpose. Um, he was the primary offensive weapon in the in the first five minutes of the Dayton game. 
comes out in the Louisville game, gets a steal and a run-out dunk um, on the first possession of the game. So good to see a senior kind of trying to lead by example. Um, I think Barnes has been um, good running the offense. I thought he was outstanding against Dayton, um, and he did the best he could against Louisville. His shot wasn't there, but I don't think um, he's been bad. He's part of one good thing that ISU has done in both games, and that's turnover avoidance. Um, Sycamores um, had 12 against Dayton and 11 against Louisville. You know, anytime you're around 10, you're doing a good job. If you get over 15, that's when you start to worry. So uh, against two pretty good and athletic teams, it's good that the turnover numbers have been low. Um, as I mentioned, Jake LaRavia was awesome against Dayton for his first game. Uh, just came out and just wasn't nervous, um, wasn't afraid of the moment, and uh, he was on the floor at the end of the game. What more can you ask from a true freshman but to be on the floor at the end of a game that um, was still in the balance? So good job for him. Um, so we'll talk about some of the other players as we go along, but those are just a few observances about ISU. Um, let's talk about a couple other things. Notably, let's talk about Evansville's um, big win, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, over number one Kentucky on Tuesday night, which uh, I didn't know anything about it until I got here to my hotel. I was driving uh, from Terre Haute and uh, wasn't, I was listening to music, so I wasn't really paying attention to the scores and was shocked when I saw that on Twitter. I'm sure all of you were the same way. And uh, here's what I think is a big deal about it. Um, you know, the national angle, of course, is that, um, you know, Calipari got beat in Lexington, which rarely happens um, and hasn't happened at all against a non-Power 5 opponent. Um, and, of course, Kentucky had beaten um, Michigan State to start the season earlier last week when Michigan State was number one. And... Um, and, of course, no non-major um, team has gone on the road to beat a number one team since Long Beach State beat Kansas in the early 90s. So all the historical stuff that Evansville accomplished on Tuesday is worth noting. Um, but as far as our own little circle of the world inside the Valley, I think this is the most important thing about it. And it's really the first time that Evansville has made its mark in non-conference play since I've been around the league. And I go back to the 0405 season. Um, I didn't know this until I looked it up because I was trying to think of the last big non-conference win that Evansville had. I knew they had beaten Butler in the early 2010s. Um, obviously, Butler is very good in the early 2010s, went to the Final Four twice, but I couldn't think of the last time they had beaten a Power 5 team. I knew they had beaten Purdue at some point when I was on the beat, and I thought it was more recently than it was. Um, but that win over Purdue occurred in 2005, um, and that was the last time before last night that Purdue had beaten a Power 5 school at all, or that Evans, excuse me, that Evansville had beaten a Power 5 school at all uh, when they beat Purdue. Uh, I think that game was at Roberts Stadium, and it was the year, I think that was Gene Cady's last year, or it was Matt Painter's first, one or the other, but it, Purdue was not in a good state of affairs at the time. Um, that's pretty wild that that was the last Power 5 win for Evansville. And, you know, when you start to think about it, um, you know, Evansville is kind of the anti-Indiana state. Um, on Tuesday night after I saw the win, I listed, you know, the, the Power 5 wins that ISU has had in my time on the beat, and it's been quite a few. 
Um, they've beaten all three of the major uh, schools in state. IU they've beaten twice. Uh, Purdue they beat in 07. Uh, Notre Dame they beat I think in 2013. I think I could be missing that by a year, but um, but those are just th those are just in state. ISU has been able to do that. They beat Ole Miss. They beat Miami. They beat Vanderbilt. Last year, they beat Colorado. Um, point being is that ISU has had a real knack, and so have some of the other Valley schools, at getting kind of headline-grabbing wins. Evansville never does that. Um, obviously, going back to that win over Purdue, I mean, Steve Murfield was coaching back then, and it seems like it was... You know, that might as well have been back in the 60s. It's been so long, or it seems so like it's been so long since Murfeld was um, Evansville's coach. So the point of all this is, is that even though Evansville has had some good starts to certain seasons, most of it has been built up on weak schedules. Um, Evansville's fans haven't really had a whole lot to get pumped up about going into a season. Now, I know everybody down there was excited about the potential of the team they had coming in with all of Walter McCarty's um, transfers becoming eligible this year. But that's different than actually having a tangible result to get excited about. And obviously beating the number one team in the country is pretty damn exciting. So I'm curious to see what effect this has on Evansville going forward and their fan base. Um, you know, at the end of the day, all of this is still somewhat symbolic in terms of uh, what the accomplishment is after the fact. But you know, the old-timers that have been around the Valley for a while, and this precedes my time around, but I do remember it, remember a day when Evansville was regularly drawing, you know, five-digit size crowds to Roberts back in their glory days when Jim Cruz was coaching and, and before that. Um, that hasn't been the case in a long time. The crowds were up last year, people excited about, you know, Walter McCarty coming home to Evansville and coaching the team, but... You know, that is something you could have seen easily fading if they hadn't, you know, kind of capitalized on that initial excitement with some, with, with winning. So I think this is, this is the first time Evansville has had buzz, and I'm curious to see what that means for uh, the Aces going forward. It would be cool if, if they started drawing at the Ford Center like, uh, like they once did at Roberts. Um, Evansville's a big basketball community. I think we all know that, uh, those of us who have traveled down there. And um, so we'll see. I mean, it could also go the route of some of these ISU wins over the years where it was just kind of a cool, isolated event, and then the season itself was not as cool as the big win was. So uh, you never know how these are going to go, but obviously a great moment for the conference. Um, the Valley... Um, the Valley's record against number one teams is straight out, straight up incredible. Um, ESPN had a tweet yesterday that said in the last 20 years, the Valley has the best record against number one teams in non-conference games. They're four and three. Um, they actually probably would have made the stat more incredible if they just would have held it to the last decade. I, or the Valley is four and one in the 2010s alone against number one teams. That is amazing. And you look at it, the wins were, just for the record, um, UNI's win over Kansas in the 2010 tournament. That's the famous Ali farouk uh heat check three at the end of that game. That was, that was pretty, uh, that was, that was fun. Uh, Wichita State's win over Gonzaga in the 2013 tournament where they ultimately went to the final four. 
Um, that's the second win. And then you and I beat North Carolina in Cedar Falls. This is part of North Carolina, as some people know, likes to play games where their recruits came from. So, um, so North Carolina went up to, to you and I to play at Cedar Falls. Um, and, uh, and, and you and I beat them. So, and then, of course, last night's win, uh, Evansville went over Kentucky. So it's not even like Wichita State had or Creighton had all of them either. Those are three of those wins by current Valley members. So, um, so it's pretty amazing what this league can do. And it's what, what makes being around the Missouri Valley Conference a lot of fun. And um, it also makes it very difficult for the teams to schedule. So I wouldn't expect too many Valley teams to be... Um, trekking down to Lexington to play UK anytime soon and certainly um, Evansville got the attention of a lot of other teams that might be reluctant to schedule so um, hopefully uh, that won't be the case but I think we all know it probably will be so um, but and we'll see what effect it eventually has on conference RPI it's way too early to start worrying about uh, that kind of stuff the numbers are all skewed right now um, ISU is actually the only Valley team that does not have a win yet but then again, they've only played two games, and obviously those were two very difficult opponents. Valley, I think, is, as of when I record this, I think five games over 500, so um, not bad. I mean, some teams of Missouri State's kind of struggled out of the gate a little bit. They've been able to get, um, struggle to get some wins against some, um, you know, lesser teams. Um but no, other than Evansville was a win. There haven't been any major surprises or any major letdowns yet. And in any case, it's still pretty early for that kind of talk anyway. So we'll talk more about the Valley as the season goes along. So, Okay, let's talk about some football. Um, Indiana State kind of surprised me last weekend, to be honest. Uh, they went up to Northern Iowa. Uh, Northern Iowa, who's been red hot, number five in FCS when ISU played them. Uh, they had just come off of a big win at Illinois State to really position themselves to get a bye in the FCS playoffs. I don't think there's any question that they're going to make it. Um, and the Sycamores had come off of a, you know, relatively, um, it wasn't a blowout defeat, but uh, but they weren't terribly competitive against Southern Illinois at home the week before. So, you know, the Odds seem to be pointed to the fact that ISU was going to have a tough time up at UNI, and also, of course, most of their history up at the Unidome has been pretty brutal. Um, I know I've maybe covered one or two close games up there, and the other ones I've covered up there have been bad blowouts. Um, uh, I've actually missed the last two trips. I did not go up to Cedar Falls this weekend. I had to make a pick between basketball and football and chose to cover basketball, but um, normally it's not pretty up there in northern Iowa. However, the Sycamores uh, showed that they have some uh, pride left, and they uh, were beaten 17-9, to but that's certainly a respectable uh, margin of defeat. And ISU actually had a chance to uh, get right back in that game late. Uh, they completed a long pass to Dante Hendricks um, late in the game uh, to put the ball at the three-yard line. Unfortunately, and this has kind of been the story to some degree for ISU this year, but a couple of ill-timed penalties knocked them back from uh, the, the, you know, the shadow of the goal line. And then uh, an interception was thrown on third down, and that pretty much wiped out the Sycamore's last good chance. But um, 
having said that, there was plenty of good to look at, um, and certainly some things that got corrected from uh, the games prior to this. Um, ISU outgained you and I 345 to 258 um, in total yardage and uh, outrushed you and I, who's usually a good rushing team, and um, even more impressively, out through you and I. And you and I has been, this year anyway, has been a very good passing team. So um, ISU's offense took a step forward in the respect that their pass game became a threat again. Uh, Curtis Wilderman's been efficient all year long, um, but it's been efficiency without a lot of production. Uh, low yardage numbers, just not very impactful. So uh, it was very encouraging that he was able to find Dante Hendricks, who had 135 receiving yards, his first really big game of the season. Um, it didn't equal touchdowns. That's something that's dogged ISU a little bit this year. They settled for three Jerry Nunez, or Jerry Nunez. He wants to be called Nunez, I think now, but um, three field goals. Um, so you, 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 you can get in the end zone in those situations and they win the game. So certainly that was encouraging. Another big encouraging thing is um, ISU held you and I to 2.8 rushing yards per carry, and ISU had just been getting hammered on the ground throughout conference play. Going into the game, uh, ISU had given up 5.7 rushing yards per uh, per game or per carry, and uh, that's brutal. I mean, if you're anything above five, you're 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 struggling big time. So it was extremely encouraging that they were able to cut that number. Um, you know, in half. So, um, so that's good, and it really speaks to the impact that Clayton Glasgow, um, ISU linebacker Clayton Glasgow, has had on the defense. He missed three games prior to the U and I game. He had an upper body injury. I never really had it completely explained to me what it was specifically, but he had been outstanding, um, as good as Jonas Griffith uh, in the early in the first half of the season. Um, and it, I don't think it's coincidence that ISU's rushing defense kind of dropped off when, when he got hurt. So they had Clayton Glasgow back. They had Makai Ware back um, out at the cornerback spot. And uh, ISU's defense looked a lot better. So that's a, that's, that's, that's a really good sign um, that the team, you know, with nothing really to play for in the final uh, month of the season, uh, is still finding reasons to play so and you know that's that seems to be a minimum standard to meet but there's a lot of teams out there that are ready to mail it in at this point in the season when they are not uh, playing for anything so you know I wouldn't have expected anything less as much as the team has struggled this year and they're three and seven and uh, one and five in the conference, which is not the season anybody expected. You know, uh, the, obviously the injuries have been a mitigating factor, um, but also some ineffectiveness even outside of the injuries. Um, you know, this team does stay together. The coaching staff has done a good job of building that culture. The players themselves have done a great job of embracing that culture. So I never expected this team to quit, but, um, you know, human nature is human nature, and sometimes it's uh, hard to motivate yourself to, um, you know, just win for the sake of winning. So it's good that the Sycamores took a step in the right direction. They didn't get the win, but they uh, came as close to the to a win as they've gotten at the Unidome in quite a long time. So, so they move on. They have two games left, and the final home game of the season of a seven-game home schedule, which um, 
ISU has gone um, three and three so far with that home schedule um, is against Youngstown State. And the important thing is, is that it's senior day and uh, 23 ISU seniors will walk on uh, Saturday. They're probably hoping to get a couple of them back like Ryan Boyle and Big Tuna Edwards uh, after they got hurt this year, but, um, but they will take part in ceremonies on Saturday. And uh, obviously always an emotional day for all of the sports, uh, no matter what sport it is. And, um, and this senior class, especially the guys who've been around like the fifth year seniors like uh, Wyatt Wozniak and, um, and a few others um, have been through a lot. You, th- you figure they got recruited back in the year that um, ISU came off of uh, the playoff bid in 2014. So most of the seniors were recruited by the Mike Sanford regime, um, played for a couple years under Sanford, uh, had to go through a coaching change, um, struggled obviously in Kurt Mallory's first year with a winless year. Went the other direction last year, had a huge improvement, uh, got the program pointed in the right direction, and then, of course, this year took a bit of a step backwards. So these guys have experienced uh, all kinds of uh, uh, differing emotions and, and uh, you know, have had the full college athletic experience for sure, and at least in terms of uh, the, the, the variety of the seasons they've experienced. So... Um, I wanted to have an, I wanted to jump in and uh, let one of those seniors talk instead of me rambling. Um, I interviewed uh, linebacker Jonas Griffith at practice on Thursday, and uh, here's what he had to say about Senior Day and what the ISU program has meant to him. He said some really uh, interesting things about uh, his uh, his time here as a Sycamore. So here's Jonas Griffith. As, uh, as far as this week's game is concerned, um, it's senior day. And what does that mean to you at this point? Um, it's probably hard for you to believe that it's reached this point. Um, but what are you trying to do to try to put that into its proper place right now? I mean, I feel like it still hasn't hit me. I mean, just like a lot of emotions going into it because you put so much into the university, you know, and just, I mean, we, we didn't get really get what we wanted this senior year, but... I mean, I feel like the program is on the right track, and I feel like when we got here, hopefully we left it in a better place than it was when we got here, like when we leave. So hopefully, I feel like, you know, you can leave an impact on guys just to give it their all and just, you know, to leave an impact on the community as well, just the community around, just people that you interact with every day, just guys, you know, just leave an impact like, wow, you know, that football player was more than a football player. You know, he, he carried himself a specific way, you know, he – was respectful and he you know and just that's what I want to be remembered as a guy that was more than a football player just someone that was respectful and just was gave their all every day you've seen a lot here I mean when you came here you were behind Jameer at that point Jameer Thurman uh, obviously recruited by by Mike Sanford's coaching staff so you went through a coaching change yeah. uh, you know and this team has had its ups and downs I mean some good ups and some and some bad downs but um, you've kind of seen it all. I mean, have have you? Uh, do you have much time to recollect on that stuff right now? Or are you still focused on the job at hand? Oh, uh, I mean, as much as I don't like think about, it, I still think about. It. I mean, you know, going through these last couple of weeks is a lot of uh, emotions that you go through, and just I mean, you're going through a new chapter of your life. You know, going off of football like this is all I've known for the past four and a half years. You know, just going to practice, weights, training, and I feel like you know, it's. 
it's something I think about, but I don't like dwell on it too much. But you know, I'm thankful for all the coaches that recruited me. There's, you know, I had a lot of great coaches in my career, from Coach Archie to Coach Olson to now Coach Wilson. All those guys I'm forever thankful for because they all taught me something, something different. And I feel like if I can take that throughout my life and apply it to when I, you know, leave Indiana State, then I'll be a successful individual in whatever I do. Now, as far as the game itself is concerned on Saturday, do you feel like the defense got a significant amount of its identity back? I mean, you didn't get the win against Northern Iowa, but you guys shored up the run defense in a big way, um, held them to 17 points. Uh, you guys were in the game. How good do you feel? And, of course, you got a couple important pieces back, too. But how good do you feel about having that game in your pocket to go into this one um, against a Youngstown State team that's been good offensively, but they also lost their starting quarterback, too? Um, I mean, you take it with a grain of salt. I mean, every week is a different challenge in and of itself. I feel like this week what we have to do is just know our assignment. Because they, they run a lot of shifts and do a lot of trades and stuff just to get you in the wrong position so they can make the right play. And I feel like ultimately it just comes down to our preparation and film study and practice. And I feel like that's the key to stopping their offense as well as, you know, getting Clayton back was huge. And, you know, I feel like Coach Wilson always preaches next man up, but Clayton was a huge piece to our defense, you know, that we needed. And having him play beside me is, you know, big because we feed off of each other. He he knows what I'm doing. I know what he's doing as well. So I feel like having him back as well as the preparation will be big for this week. Do you think everybody else learned how important Clayton is? Because, I mean, it, the numbers don't lie. I mean, he comes back. And, you know, I don't want to put all the credit on him. Yeah. But, you know, all of a sudden you go from, you know, 5.7 yards per game to down to below three. Um, you know, he's been quite a presence in that oh, yeah. defense this year. Well, I feel like with him, like, guys just feel more comfortable because we all played spring ball and um, fall camp together, and we did all everything together. So I feel like having the 11 guys that we're all comfortable with, I mean, we are, we're a unit, but having the 11 guys we're comfortable with is huge because just having him, he's a great athlete, tremendous athlete, physical guy, and he's also smart as well. You know, he doesn't get a lot of credit for his – tangibles his smartness so I feel like having him back was really huge for us these last two games you're playing for pride at this point but you guys have a lot of pride what does it mean to you to go out there and finish these two last two games in the right way I mean I don't think that we like you said like we do have a lot of pride in this program and I feel like coach Mallory said something that stuck with me was that um it's not a winning season but you want a winning program and I the wins will come for a program if you have a winning program. But if you have a winning season, you might get wins that year. But down the road, you might fold and guys might be academically eligible, per se. But, you know, winning programs have great academics, great everything there, you know, and it correlates to wins down in the future. So I feel like it's for pride, you know, and nothing to hang your head on. But I mean, it's – I would so want, you know, to make the playoffs. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you do what you can do and just, you know, and I feel like – Hopefully we can leave this place as a winning program. All right. Sounds good, Jonas. I appreciate yes, it. Thank you. So that was uh, Jonas Griffith after uh, Thursday's uh, walkthrough in preparation for the Youngstown State game. And what great I, – I, you know, Jonas is is, is a very likable uh, guy. And uh, But more than that, I mean, you know, you heard the words he said. I mean, uh, the pride of which he speaks of being a sycamore is um, – you know, I, I don't know that I've been around a player that takes more pride in it. So um, as a fan, you got to love to hear that. Um, as a 
somebody who respects people who want to do things the right way. Certainly Jonas Griffith has been a great example of that at Indiana State, and he will be missed, not just because he's a good guy and uh, he's been good to me through the years, but uh, he's been good for this program on the field and off. So model player, the kind of guy you want, and uh, he's had an outstanding career at Indiana State, as have many of the other seniors as well. So let's look at the game, and um, Youngstown State comes in, they're 5-5. Five and five. <clears throat> Excuse me, they're 1-5 and five in conference. Um, very unusual year for the Penguins. Um, they started out 5-0 and oh, um, and played a non-conference schedule that did not include um, a so-called money game. They played in week zero, so uh, I believe they played Samford, if I remember right, and won that game, and they were looking pretty good. Um, now, they struggled a bit coming directly into Valley play, um, but we're still hanging in there. I mean, as late as the last week of October, they were still, um, you know, more or less in, in a position where they could uh, uh, make a run for the playoffs. But there's been some bad luck since then. Um, <clears throat> their quarterback, um, Nathan uh, Mays, was, uh, suffered a uh, catastrophic leg, uh, broken leg against North Dakota State two weeks ago. And he'd been really good this year for the Penguins. He's uh, He threw for 1,287 yards, 13 touchdowns, only four interceptions. And Youngstown had one of the better offenses, still has one of the better offenses in the Missouri Valley. Um, but that's a devastating injury, very unfortunate for Mays. Um, he has since – now, the the passing game hasn't dropped off that much for Youngstown. Uh, Joe Craycraft is, uh, has played for Mays and – he hasn't been bad. He's thrown for 650 yards, seven touchdowns, no interceptions. His efficiency rating is just a tad underneath what Mays's was. Smaller sample size, of course, but um, but that's it. You know, as as we well know at Indiana State, when um, having lost Ryan Boyle, losing your starting quarterback has an effect beyond just the production on the field. It's he's the symbolic leader, and uh, you know when you lose that guy, it's a, it's a big deal. So. It's thrown the Penguins for a bit of a loop because they have, uh, you know, they were mildly struggling in some of the early games. You know, they lost their Valley opener at Northern Iowa by seven, uh, got beat at home by South Dakota State by 10. Neither one of those results are, you know, are that bad. Um, probably the first sign that Southern Illinois was going to make a run is uh, the fact that Youngstown went down to Carbondale and got beat 35 to 10. YSU comes back, they beat Western Illinois handily um, out in Youngstown. And then, you know, they in the in the game that Mays got hurt, they got beat badly by NDSU, 56-17, to 17, but that's, again, you know, it's NDSU, so you, you almost file that away and not worry about it. But last week they went to South Dakota. Now, South Dakota, as we know, is not an easy place to win. The Sycamores didn't play well when they went up there. Youngstown went out there and got beat badly. They got beat 56 to 21. Um, and the Youngstown defense has been problematic this year. They've been giving up a lot of points. Um, you look at the conference only stats, which by this point in the season are really the only ones that matter uh, to me anyway. And they've given up 36.7 points per game in conference. Um, they've given up 393 and a half yards per game in conference. Both of those numbers are below what Indiana State has done. And, um, you know, so in their turnover margin, their actual season turnover margin is plus seven, but in the Valley, they're minus two. So uh, Penguins have not been able to um, get that number above water. 
Um, and they've been, you know, obviously defensively they've struggled. Now, having said that, uh, they have some pieces that the Sycamores are going to have to worry about. Um, chief among them are their defensive ends. Uh, Malik Richmond and um, um, Justice Reed are both uh, primo uh, pass rushers. Uh, Reed has nine and a half sacks. Richmond has seven. Um, Reed has 14 tackles for loss. Another player, DeMarco Craig, has uh, 11 and a half tackles for loss. So the Penguins can uh, can force you into negative yardage situations um, as well as any team in the league. Um, but you can throw on them, and you can run on them. Both, uh, there, there's going to be, if you like running football, um, the way both of these defenses have proven themselves out uh, over the course of the Valley season, they're both above five yards per carry. Now, ISU brought their number down after the UNI game down to 5.3, but that's still a high number, and Youngstown's right at five yards per carry. So, um, you know, based on one game anyway, ISU tends, seems to be trending in the right direction. Youngstown State is not. So uh, certainly that's something to look out for. Um, and as far as the Sycamores are concerned, uh, it'll be interesting because they've run this Wildcats formation. They ran it even better at UNI uh, than they did the week before against Southern Illinois. Um, Dominique Daphne and Michael Halpert have uh, done a good job. Uh, Daphne, uh, who's the big back in this Wildcats uh, uh, formation, rushed for 80 yards last week against UNI, five yards per carry. Halpert rushed for 33. And then Peterson Curligrand, uh, traditional running back, ran for 30 yards. So um, so it's been an interesting look, and it's not easy to uh, key in on anybody when you don't know which guy the ball is going to get snapped to. So um, I like that formation for the Sycamores. Um, Kurt Mallory said that Curtis Wilderman is going to start this week. Um, certainly he comes off of probably his best effort of the season. Um, but you should know that Gunner C. did practice this week, and Gunner, if you remember, uh, started the game uh, after uh, up at South Dakota after Ryan Boyle got uh, injured, um, So and then he got injured himself. So um, Gunner is thought to be more of the passing quarterback, but uh, we'll see if he plays. Uh, it's I, I don't know if the team is comfortable throwing him into the fire yet, um, and certainly Curtis, by his uh, production last week, earned the right to continue playing at any rate. So um, so the Sycamores, um, and then of course we mentioned Clay, how important Clayton Glasgow has been and how good he's been uh, as far as the run game is concerned, and uh, that will have to continue against the Penguins this week. So I feel relatively confident that Indiana State can uh, get a win on Saturday. If you look at it from Youngstown's point of view, and I'm not in their huddle, I'm not in their locker room, so this is pure spitballing on my part, but um, they are in a different state of affairs than ISU is program-wise. Bo Pelini's been there for a few years now, and while they did make it to the FCS championship game a couple years ago, in their other seasons they've been, they've had years like this where they kind of fell off, and um you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know what the state of the locker room is, but from just a pure speculative point of view, you know, a team going on the road for their second last game of the year, where they really don't have a whole lot to play for, is always going to be a dangerous proposition for the road team. Indiana State, on the other hand, senior day, a lot of emotion. They're going to. They they are feeling good after they 
know, perhaps probably should have beat Northern Iowa last week. Um, have a little bit more, have a little bit better morale, I'm sure, than the Penguins do. So, um, so that's a consideration. That's one reason why I feel like ISU can win. And certainly, if they can repeat uh, the production they got last week against you and I, they certainly have the capability to win as well. And then they finish the season at Missouri State next week, and Missouri State has struggled badly. So the Sycamores do have the opportunity to pull themselves off the mat and at least finish the season on a high note. And um, so that would be important. And that's really, you know, what what, what else are you going to play for at this point? So, um, you know, you might as well focus on the positive. So um, so that's that's it for football this week, and that is it for Down in the Valley. I called it You Gotta Move. I never even mentioned that. I keep forgetting these Rolling Stones titles I keep using. And the theme of it is belated. I should have said this at the beginning, but um, that basketball has to move on from, you know, two pretty difficult uh, opponents and and losses in their first two games. And football, you got to move and move in the right direction. So taking a little bit of artistic license, that's not what that song is actually about. It's a, a blues, uh, rem- or blues tribute or remake or whatever, but... That is why I called it You Gotta Move. So I gotta move now. We're done with Down in the Valley for this week. We'll be back next week. Basketball by then will be um, in the Bahamas by then. I am not going to the Bahamas this year um, because mainly because football, when we planned this stuff, we thought might be playing for the playoffs. That isn't the case. but um, And it costs a lot of money to go to the Bahamas. So, um, so I will be going to the football trip to Missouri State and we'll be monitoring basketball from the island of Bimini um, from afar. So at any rate, have a good week. Thanks for listening. Um, as as you know, this is, uh, you, please read my Down in the Valley uh, blogs that I do after the games. Um, all readers are very, um, very thankful for all of them. And uh, you can follow the podcast at tripstar.com and on several different uh, national uh, forums like Spotify and others. So um, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.